0: Hey everybody! Just a quick announcement before we start the show. If you like what we're doing here and want to throw us some support, Non Toxic Fanboys is now on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com/nontoxicfanboys, where depending on your support level, you can vote on the topic of our next show, get early access to each new episode, get a patron exclusive behind the scenes podcast about our creative process, or even submit topics to be covered on the show. All the details can be found at patreon.com/nontoxicfanboys. We know not everybody is in a place where they can contribute to a show like this. Please don't feel obligated to do so. But if you are so inclined, then please visit us at patreon.com/nontoxicfanboys and see if any of our support tiers appeal to you. And now, on with the show. Cue the music. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Non-Toxic Fanboys podcast, where, as always, the title is aspirational. It's Oscar season, a time for glitz and glamour, red carpets and fancy dresses and jewelry on loan. Broadcast via video chat from the palatial estates of all of your favorite Hollywood stars. From beautiful downtown Connecticut, I am Glenn Butler sporting a gorgeous Gildan hoodie. And I am joined once again by my brother, Scott Butler. Scott, who are you wearing? Um, a sweatshirt. Is it a $7 million sweatshirt? No. Is it at all jewelry encrusted? No. Well, I guess we're not doing the glitz and the glamour then, huh? Instead... We are going to continue our yearly tradition of talking about the nominees for the Best Original Score category at the Academy Awards. Scott, are you pumped? No. Well, this is going to go great. The first score we have to talk about today is *The Five Bloods by Terrence Blanchard. talked about Terrence Blanchard a couple of years ago when he was nominated for Black Klansman, and this score, I think, is quite different. It's a lot more orchestral. It has, obviously, much more of an Americana sound, and that is really the defining element of it, I think. There is a really, really noble theme for the protagonists that's introduced immediately at the start of the score and comes back in a lot of different ways many, many times. It plays off of another theme for Vietnam and those elements of the story. And while the main theme comes up on horns, on the strings, on a lot of the traditional orchestral arrangements... The Vietnamese theme is more on, I suppose you could say, an ethnic woodwind. It's a very common way of communicating that contrast, but they're played off of each other very well, I feel. It's all pulled off with a great deal of skill, and there are several sequences that I think
1: are quite compelling. I'm curious why you say it's very different from Black Klansman, because I will never remember the theme to this movie, because every time I hear it, all I hear is Ron's theme from Black Klansman.
0: I see the similarity. I went back and listened to Ron's theme again because, honestly, I forget a lot of these things after we talk about them, and I definitely see the similarity, but I think this theme not only is orchestrated much differently and used with a much different tone, but it also, I think, has a longer line to the melody than Ron's theme. I think there's just one section of this theme that bears that similarity, and so In my mind, at least, it distinguishes itself.
1: The other thing that really got me in this score is that all the repeating figures that Blanchard uses, they're all, like, in most uses, very short snippets and fragments. Like, the Ron's theme... It's not Ron's theme, but you know what I mean? That's all I'm ever going to think of it as. The one that's almost, but not quite entirely like Ron's theme is probably the longest one. I don't know, I need more to sort of hook me in, you know? Like, a lot of this score is pretty good to listen to, but the whole thing left me craving some sort of consistent through line to guide me through the score. I didn't think either of the themes were used quite enough or centered quite enough to really accomplish that.
0: Well, the main theme, I think, is a little longer because I think what you're perceiving as a smaller fragment that's repeated a couple of times is one statement that's connected by a a bridging section of the theme. Or at least that's the impression that I got listening to it.
1: I don't know if that's what it was then I didn't pick up on it. Or at least I didn't in more than like one or two tracks. Like there are some places where it's used longer, but like ninety percent of the uses it just seemed very short and fragmentary. There are some shorter uses. There are times during
0: some of the more dissonant, chaotic cues where there are fragments of it that break in. There are sections where that main theme and the Vietnam theme, which is, like you say, much shorter. It's more of a a descending figure that has its effect through the performance and the setting. There are times when those are playing off each other when there's a shorter piece of that main theme. But there are also arrangements, I think, where it is used more extensively. And it always, or almost always, has that element of nobility to it. That really, really stood out to me on repeated listens. Especially the track MLK Assassinated has these really emotional, really melancholy settings of the theme, but it still has that element of nobility. Can
1: we just mention the track titles briefly? Okay. I mean, the track titles include stuff like MLK Assassinated, and Otis and TN Have Dinner, Bloods Go Into Jungle, Paul Is Bitten, Otis Talks Family, David Talks About His Mother. I mean, these track titles are like aspiring to the level of bold creativity of Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul continue fighting. From the admittedly limited amount
0: of actual scoring sheets that I've seen, like the full written score that would be given to each member of the orchestra or used by the conductor at the recording sessions, often you'll have pieces broken into smaller parts— To manage the recording sessions. And often those sections will have very simple titles because the purpose of that is to track them against the film. That's why each listing in the scoring sheets has a real number, too, to align it exactly where it's supposed to go. And often those will get renamed and combined and, you know, kind of arranged for an album. And sometimes some of those titles just stay because they're utilitarian. And sometimes they're affected by contractual matters, but usually for the initial album for a score, the composer and album producer, usually the composer, has a lot of say in what gets renamed and what doesn't. I mean, it was probably just felt that a lot of these didn't need more poetic names. But I feel like there are a couple of real highlights in this score. In addition to the MLK track, there's the track Finding the Gold, which has some great variations on that main theme in a really positive context, leading up to really triumphant context. That, I think, was really one of the best parts of the score. Also, the end credits... I've talked about end credits in a lot of our shows, so maybe I don't have to give my entire opinion on end credits pieces and which ones are good and which ones are bad. The end credits here, not only is it an originally written, specifically written, end credits piece, but it does a very good job, I think, summing up the material of the score and really resolving it.
1: I don't know, there was stuff I liked about this score... I think at one point I wrote down that it felt like it was like 80% of the way to being a really good score, but for whatever reason, it just never really clicked with me. That may just be a taste thing, I don't know. I just couldn't get into this, though.
0: I only really clicked with it on my second listen, I believe. But when I did, I really did. This is quite a good drama score. I know a lot of the scores that we've talked about in episodes where we were both more enthusiastic have been like franchise scores and and sci-fi and, you know, we spent 45 minutes gushing over Wonder Woman in the last episode, right? But for a drama score for a serious film, I think this is really quite good. Let's move on now to our next nominee, News of the World by James Newton Howard. James Newton Howard has done a few Western films in the past, most notably Wyatt Earp, which is a much, much different score from this one. News of the World has a couple of thematic ideas, but for the most part, it's very sparse. It's very lonely. There are several stretches which are relatively ambient. And I know how you feel about orchestral ambience.
1: Well, with the sparseness and the use of, like, a lone violin, the thing it reminded me of more than anything was James Newton Howard's score to the first Hunger Games movie, where he tried to represent the desolation of Appalachia with that same sort of desolate, lone string sort of feeling. I actually really like that sort of feeling that the score evokes. I think it's really good at that. It's just, there's only so many tracks of evokes a feeling that I can sit through before I really need it to do something interesting melodically. And this score does have some interesting pieces in it, but it's not enough, in my opinion. It leans a little too hard on just evoking the feeling and not enough on doing anything with the melody to help tell the story. Well, I'm sure
0: what the film needed was a rather bleak score, but on album, at least, there is only so long you can sit in that particular feeling.
1: Yeah, I sometimes wonder if listening to these things an album at a time is really the best way of consuming these scores, but I don't know of any other way. I mean, What are you going to do, listen to two tracks a day for a week? I will say, when I listened to this score and I was, like, doing something, like I I was distracted by something, so I wasn't devoting 100% of my attention to this score, it was a much better experience. Because I just sort of drifted out of it for a while and then would, like, tune back in when it got to the good parts. And so, like, I didn't have to sit through the six consecutive tracks of evoking the feeling of desolation before it got to a track with an interesting melodic component. Like, I could just experience that evoking the feeling of desolation, but I wasn't experiencing just how long that went on before it got to something that, like, actually attracted my attention.
0: So you're saying it's a much better experience when you're distracted by something, for instance, perhaps the magnetic on-screen presence of Tom Hanks?
1: I mean, maybe. Like I said, there is a lot I like in this. The themes that they use, I actually do like when they use them. I don't think they use them enough, I don't think they lean on them enough, but when they do use them, when there is a track that's centered on one of those themes, I do enjoy it a lot. There are a couple of pieces
0: with what I'd call the main theme, I suppose, that evoke a little bit of that traditional Western sound. By which I basically mean a standard 50s, 60s Western score, which is a lot more active, often more action-oriented, often more triumphant than obviously this film is, and obviously this score would have to be. But there are some moments that evoke more of that feeling There are some moments where there's more folk style or bluegrass style instrumentation and melodies to evoke the setting of the film. And that's a much more active element that I think would be more readily accessible in terms of the score as well.
1: had was that the main i guess the main action track there's one track in the middle of the score that's like nine minutes like most of the other tracks are like two to three minutes five at the most but this one track right in the middle is like nine minutes long and it's all like heavy tension music but it's all just like really really generic like you could take that tension-y stuff and put it in nearly any movie. There's nothing about any of the music in that big centerpiece piece of the score that like makes it unique to this movie or this score. It's just sort of generic tensiony filler.
0: There's one tiny bit of that piece where part of the main theme is kind of twisted into an overbearing four-note motif that is building the tension and building the action a little bit. Admittedly, it is very short in a nine-plus-minute cue, which is, like most anything else James Newton Howard is going to do, is very technically accomplished, but... Like you say, a little generic. I mean, it ramps up well. It's effective at, again, evoking that mood. But I suppose you're right. It is a little generic.
1: Yeah, it's very technically proficient.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're going to be talking about anything today that isn't technically proficient or that doesn't evince artistic skill and technical skill. Just to establish whatever we may think of the actual music.
1: But... And maybe this is just down to taste, but I would prefer if this wasn't just well-done, generic, tension-y filler. I would prefer if this was well-done, tension-building in a piece of music that's uniquely associated with this character, or with this situation, or even just with this score. You know? So, like... However, technically proficient or well-orchestrated or whatever the piece may be, it sort of fails in my eyes because it is so generic. Can I ask a related question? Please. When did rapid-paced, high-pitched strings become like the go-to Be Afraid Now music cue? Because it's used everywhere. And it's used so much that it just, when it pops up again, it feels incredibly generic to me.
0: I mean, in terms of orchestral music, is there really a time when it wasn't?
1: Well, there must have been, because there was a time before orchestral music. Are you saying that comes from 17th century opera?
0: I don't really know enough about classical music or 17th century opera or any other forebears to really give a comprehensive response, but
1: it's like in the Wonder Woman score we talked about where there's like a couple of themes they use for Wonder Woman and for Themyscira and then there's a theme for the villain and there's a theme for the cheetah and then the magic wishing rock comes on and there's just this like weird eerie electronica stuff. It's like, ooh, weird, eerie electronica music for the weird thing that is mysterious. It's just such a lazy fallback. Maybe I shouldn't be calling it lazy, because I'm sure these composers put a lot of work into their work. I'm not trying to denigrate it from that angle, but it's just... Everybody does the same thing, and so, like, when someone else does the same thing, it just sounds generic, and I can't think of a word better than lazy. I mean, it's a very standard method. It's just something that I've heard too often, so now when it pops up again, I just roll my eyes and go, here we go again. And the thing is, it's so rarely, like, varied or mixed up. Like, if you've heard one piece of rapid, high pitched strings, you've heard the rapid, high pitched strings that are used in horror ish, tensiony scenes in every movie that uses the rapid, high pitched strings.
0: I mean. If you want to kind of average out the way that each instance is orchestrated and consider it as fast-paced, high-pitched strings, then obviously there's a great deal of overlap there because it is a standard way of setting a certain mood, of creating tension.
1: Maybe I've just been listening to too many scores lately. Well, that might be an issue if we're going to keep doing score shows. But it's just like, when it's time for the audience to be afraid, and so the music does the same thing that's done in a hundred other movies when it's time for their audience to be afraid. I don't know, that just really turned me off. May- maybe I'm just picking a nit, maybe I'm being oversensitive to it. Maybe I just need to not do score reviews for a little while and reset my sensitivity to things, but that's one thing that jumped out at me, is just like, eh. I get it, to an extent.
0: That's one reason why a lot of horror scores don't really appeal to me, and why I get kind of excited when I find one that does. Because there are very common, very stereotypical, often repeated techniques. You have huge stingers that basically all sound the same. At least, they basically all sound the same to me. So I get how some techniques, if you hear them enough and if you don't think they're being varied enough, become grating, sure. Especially if there isn't a lot else that you're latching onto. But again, there are a couple of thematic ideas that I think are pretty good here. And again, there's a unified end credits piece that resolves everything by doing a summary of the thematic material without the ambient material, without the tension building material. It kind of gives a summary of the melodies, of the highlights of the score.
1: Yeah, that was basically what I noted down about the end credits, is that it basically sounded like all the good parts of the previous hour of score snipped out and assembled into one, like, five-minute montage, which, given those numbers, would make the score approximately 8% good. Which I think is a bit harsh, but... Like I said, there are things I liked about this score, but I think it leaned a little too heavily on establishing a mood and a little too heavily on generic stuff and not enough on the actually quite good and enjoyable themes. And that is why I feel that last piece, the end
0: credits, is the one thing, if anything is going to stick with me from this would be the one thing that does because it collects all of that together without any of the melodically less interesting material.
1: Well, the thing about the end credits is that it's not it's not really a coherent whole thing on its own. It's more of like a clip show. I think I called it a montage before, and that's like about what it is. It's like here's this good part from the one track and then here's this good part from that other track and then here's this good part from that third track. And it's not quite a coherent whole, it's just like a series of highlights from earlier in the score. See, I don't think it's that sort of straight-up highlight
0: package. I do see that as more of a unified piece that just moves between a few different ideas and concentrates on each one in turn. But, if you want to talk about ambient music, and if you want to talk about mood setting then the rest of this show is really going to be something.
1: I was sure you were going to use that as a transition to the next score, but then I couldn't figure out which one was going to be the next score that was a transition into. <laughs> well, we're choosing our own adventure here. Can I choose Wonder Woman again? No.
0: Next, we will be discussing the score for Minari by Emil Moseri. I really hope I'm pronouncing all of that correctly. In the first two scores we talked about today, I mentioned the way that they evoked the setting, the time period, the general context of those films. Minari is a film that takes place in the 1980s. It takes place in Arkansas. It's about a family that moves to a farm, and all of those are things that have some musical style, some musical techniques associated with them, and Maseri chooses not to utilize any of those to directly evoke the setting or the actions of the characters of the film. Instead, he takes his cue from the fact that the film is a childhood memory of one of the characters, and so using that as his basis, the score sets this wistful, dreamlike, hypnotic tone,
1: and kind of sits in that feeling. This is another one that's like very good at evoking the feeling it's going for, but not as good at having any... Content that keeps my attention. Like it's kind of sweeping and beautiful and very empty for the most part. I did think it was vaguely a lot of things.
0: It's vaguely haunting, vaguely pretty. Some of the instrumentation, I think, is interesting. There's a vocal performance that sometimes alternates and sometimes combines with a Korg synthesizer, which is the one element of the music that does reflect the 1980s, but not in, again, a stereotypical way. There are some sections that almost sound like the voice is playing off of a theremin or a moog or or something similar that itself sounds a little like the voice. I mean, obviously the korg, but those are just the ones that are more associated in my mind. Those sections, I think, are probably the most effective. There's a prepared piano as well that's just slightly out of tune that gives more of a sense of the imperfect that something isn't quite fitting, that something is wrong. Again, it's not the sort of melodic thematic score that we talk about sometimes, but I'm a little more comfortable trying to judge something like this on its own terms. And in terms of evoking that sort of feeling, I think it is effective. I think as an album... This would be very good to have on in the background as studying music or reading music or something similar. Like you said before, when you're occupied by something else, I think it would be very good background music as a score. Imagine.
1: See, I guess that's the thing. Like, that seems to be what a lot of these scores are going for now, is to be unobtrusive and unnoticed and just be a background element that calls no attention to itself whatsoever. As opposed to the sorts of scores I enjoy more, where the score sort of grabs your attention and helps guide you through the story. Helps guide you through a scene. Helps tell you what to pay attention to in a scene, or how to feel about a scene, or a scene that doesn't have dialogue. The music can help tell the story, since the characters aren't doing so audibly at the moment. Those seem to be two very different things, and one of them seems to very much not be in vogue right now. I can't really judge this on its own terms, as you say, because I haven't seen this movie. So, I can't judge it in the setting in which it's intended to be listened to. As a listening experience, as a piece of music, I mean, it has its good points, but like I said, it's just... Aggressively unobtrusive. It just feels, with like a couple of exceptions here and there, it just feels very empty.
0: I think of this album as basically spending half an hour
1: in a dream state, which sometimes is quite pleasant. Well, depending on the dream. You wouldn't believe this dream I had last night with these three.
0: Okay, okay, maybe we should move on. Indeed, let's move on to our next nominee Mank by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Can I just say, to establish context, how confounding Trent Reznor's film career has been for me? As someone who had the not uncommon experience of becoming a bit of a fan of Nine Inch Nails in my teenage years when I realized how catastrophically depressed I was and started listening to music by catastrophically depressed people, and someone who is quite a fan of a lot of the instrumental tracks on several Nine Inch Nails albums, it is confounding to an extent that Trent Reznor's film scores have made almost no impression on me. Like, I thought it was very interesting when he was first announced as one of the composers for The Social Network, but that score just about completely washed over me. And a lot of his film output since then has done the same. Mank, for what it's worth, is quite, quite different from Reznor and Ross's previous film work and doesn't wash over me as much as it overwhelms me in a couple of ways, which of course we're going to get to.
1: When I first listened to this score in January when I was doing my survey looking for good 2020 scores to highlight on our National Film Score Day show. This is the entirety of the notes that I took during that first listen. On track 7, I said, Okay, I know what this is now. This is doing absolutely nothing for me. And I stopped listening. How did you feel when you came back for this
0: show and listened to track 87? (sighs)
1: The things I do for this podcast. <laughs> I didn't listen to all 87 tracks of this. I skipped over any track that was explicitly labeled as Demo, or Version 1, or some other thing indicating this isn't even part of the final score. So I only listened to maybe 60? 60, 60 to 65 of these tracks? And I have no impression of them whatsoever. Washed over me is a very good description. I mean, some of it is fine at evoking that sort of 1930s-40s band music sound, but if I wanted that, I could just listen to 1930s band music. I have virtually nothing to say about this score. It left no impression on me whatsoever no part of it jumped out as intriguing or interesting or relating in some way to the rest of the score other than being on the same album and vaguely within the same musical genre. Like, half of my notes, if I go scrolling through, like, half of my notes on this score are stuff like this is okay, I guess, or this is a track, or that was music. It all is music. I mean, it's not... Each individual piece is not necessarily bad. I'm not going to compare this to Dunkirk or Sicario or something like that. If you were to listen to any one track of this, you would say, okay, fine, that's a perfectly fine, pleasant little piece of music. But it just does nothing for me. It adds up to nothing. There's 87 tracks, and it adds up to nothing. It makes no impression. It... I literally don't have anything else to say. It made no impression whatsoever.
0: I've been talking about how these scores evoke their setting and evoke their time period. This score has a few different modes that it shifts between, and one of those is Big Band and Swing, and that feeling of the 1930s popular music. And I'm sure that's fine for what it is, but it comes off as source music. It sounds like source music. I'm sure a lot of it isn't, but it really sounds like source music, basically.
1: All of that stuff could easily be source music, yes. It could easily be the background music for when the characters are talking at a party or a club or something
0: yeah they're at a speakeasy well, well i suppose not as much in the 30s
1: yeah this is like thirty-nine, forty. they didn't speakeasies weren't quite as in vogue at that point no they just went further underground
0: you also have of course the more orchestral sections of the score and one of the notable things about this score compared to some of the other resnor ross scores is that there is a distinctly orchestral segment of it.
1: I know intellectually there were orchestral tracks. I have no memory of them whatsoever, because like I said, this score left no impression on me whatsoever. I had a couple
0: of impressions rather early on. One was that there are parts of this score that are really taking a lot of inspiration from Bernard Herrmann, which, because this movie is about the writing of Citizen Kane, is appropriate enough. I don't recall enough of the Citizen Kane score to say if there are specific elements of that that it's taking on, but the style of Bernard Herrmann is absolutely present, absolutely being evoked several times. (laughs) Outside of the Hermanesque material or the most Hermanesque material, the orchestral sections of this are orchestrated fantastically. The instrumentation, the use of the orchestra, is vibrant, much more so than the other Resner Ross scores that I've heard. A lot of people credit that to Conrad Pope coming on as the orchestrator for the score who is someone who is immensely talented as an orchestrator, as a conductor, has written many scores in his own right. So a lot of the fan base of the score fandom has given him a lot of credit for that. And sometimes I'm a little leery of giving orchestrators or conductors too much credit for the overall quality of music. Obviously, my knowledge of this field is somewhat limited but it really is a stark difference.
1: The thing about the orchestral tracks, and you could say the same thing about the band music swing tracks, none of them seem to have any connection to one another. Even the tracks that are, like, pretty good, they're just, like, a moment that's pretty good. It doesn't build up to anything later in the score, nothing pays off based on stuff that came before... It's like, okay, that was a perfectly fine 90 or 120 seconds of music, but with no connection whatsoever to anything that came before it or anything that comes after it, that's the absolute most you can say about it is that was a pleasant 90 to 120 seconds of music, I suppose.
0: It doesn't do a great job of sustaining itself, especially considering that There's a standard release of this score that's only 90 minutes and then the extended version which goes on for another 90 minutes, which if you want to release all your music, that's great, but it truly doesn't sustain itself for that length. And the way that it alternates between the big band cues and the orchestral cues, again I understand if you want to put a lot of things in film order in your film score, that's great, but the way that it swings wildly between those two completely disparate modes also doesn't really help it sustain itself.
1: There are very few scores I can think of where I want a three and a half hour release. Like maybe The Return of the King. Oh boy, you have more than that for The Return of the King. Like even for stuff I like from like Star Wars or Star Trek. I don't need a score release that's an hour and a half longer than the movie. (laughs) And certainly not three and a half hours of music, about which the absolute most you can say is, well, that was a mildly pleasant two minutes, I suppose. Like, the only time I actually picked up on a tune repeating in this score is like... Well, there's a couple of times where they take a particularly well-known big band tune and take all the melody out of it and just use the drum line from the background, and they use that a few times, but there's, like, I guess it's a love theme, maybe? hmm And that comes up, like, two or three times during these 87 tracks, and never for more than, like, 30 seconds or a minute at a time? I mean, that's just... Like, with News of the World, that score uses its themes often enough that I can say, okay, this is good, I wish they had done more of it. But, like, using a theme for three minutes out of a a three-and-a-half-hour score, does that even count? Sure,
0: but what it counts for, I suppose, is in the ear of the beholder. Also, of course, having a vast number of very short cues is another Hermanesque touch. Of course, there's a lot more content in Herman scores. Maybe I'll make you listen to a Herman score one of these days. I don't mean
1: to say that, like, short cues are inherently bad, but short cues are often a sign of other problems. Like, you can write a really good score that uses a bunch of short little cues, Just because there are short cues doesn't mean that the score can't build on itself and develop bit by bit. But, if you write a score that doesn't build on itself, if you write a score that is all isolated bits that have nothing to do with each other, if you write a score where the music is designed to make almost no impression on the audience... Where the music seems like it's designed to not call any attention to itself. Often, a byproduct of that kind of scoring is a lot of very short cues. Sure, if you're just
0: accenting a moment here or there.
1: So it's not that I'm saying that the score is bad because it has very short cues, but I am saying that often the reason for very short cues are also the reasons why the score turns out to be bad.
0: Our last score for today is Soul by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. just say how confounding Trent Reznor's film career is for me. Didn't you already? I feel like emphasizing the point. Trent Reznor scored a Pixar film. That sentence has been rolling around in my head whenever I've heard of this film since it was announced that Trent Reznor would be scoring a Pixar film, and it still seems almost impossibly strange to me. I mean, the world that we live in is impossibly strange for a large number of reasons we don't have time to discuss right now, but Trent Reznor scored a Pixar film,
1: right? I think that's right. Okay. How did he do? Well, I mean, focusing solely on the Trent Reznor parts, because this score... You sort of talked about this with the Manx score, but this score really is two separate scores. Where John Batiste wrote a bunch of jazz-inspired pieces to be the score for the person who exists on Earth, and then Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross wrote music for the afterlife, and the astral plane, and whatever. The Trent Reznor-Atticus Ross music in this movie, it's literally atmospheric. Does a set an atmosphere. It doesn't even evoke a feeling the way that James Newton Howard's stuff in News of the World does. It doesn't evoke a time period the way the swing band pieces from Mank do. It's literally just atmospheric. A lot of it sounds like the Muzak that you would expect to be played at the Apple Store in 2245. At times, it becomes so engrossing that it sounds like the background music to a promotional video for a Google Glass knockoff. <laughs> Again, it's fine for what it does, but what it does is practically nothing.
0: I wanted to see what exactly this score was doing, so I did go ahead and watch the film, which generally makes a score make more sense.
1: Well, I mean, the two parts of this score are so different from one another that you can tell what piece of music goes with what type of scene without even knowing much about the movie. Sure, sure. And the
0: jazz pieces by John Batiste, I think, worked very, very well in the movie. The ambient underscore by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I'm not entirely sure why it was there because even in the film, aside from maybe a couple of scenes where it perked up a little bit to accent a sense of excitement or a sense of peril briefly, it does nothing to distinguish itself. It doesn't emphasize anything. I mean, I get it to an extent. It's there to act as wallpaper to give kind of... That pleasantly serene aspect to the afterlife setting, and I suppose that's fine. But as music, it's not doing much of anything.
1: And to enhance the film, it's not doing much of anything. Well, it's like you said, it's basically sonic wallpaper. Yeah which is sort of a derisive term that I use to slander some scores, but that's literally what this stuff is. Like, wallpaper isn't there to call attention to itself. Wallpaper isn't there to be the focus of the room. Wallpaper isn't even really there most of the time to enhance the room. It's just sort of there because you need something to cover the walls. Right. And one point
0: that I think we've made on a few of these Oscar shows is that the Oscars are not a measure of quality. Like, that's not why we're doing this.
1: We got through one Oscar show before we decided, the hell with these nominees, we need to talk about the actual good stuff coming out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're doing this as sort of a lay of the land, right? So... I don't say this with a sense that the Oscars are necessarily a measure of quality. But, musical wallpaper has uses. Musical wallpaper doesn't need to be nominated for awards. I mean, the movie's about music, so let's nominate it for the music award, is a form of thinking that I can readily imagine.
1: Well, they did the same thing with La La Land.
0: There was content there. I mean, there was something. It was doing something.
1: The content there was a minute or two of trailing off of one of the songs by repeating the melody of one of the songs. And it won the Best Original Score Oscar. But we're not supposed to be making our predictions yet. Jesus, all right. Unless you're done reviewing this score. (laughs) Mm, Well, (laughs) huh. Any musical
0: interest that this holds for me is entirely in John Batiste's contributions. He's credited officially for jazz composition and arrangements, which kind of undersells the work that he put in. The jazz elements of the score are often source music, but as the film goes on, develop into Underscore and in several sequences do pretty well as Underscore. Now, personally, I'm not someone who is a jazz aficionado, or someone who maybe understands the subtleties of some jazz performances, but after seeing the film, the film gave me a sense of the emotional investment that other people have in jazz through the emotional investment that the protagonist of the film has in jazz and the appreciation that he has and the dedication that he has to it, which I think makes it a fairly well-made film. It took this thing that I'm not naturally interested in and kind of clued me into it, you know? And so in that context, the John Batiste pieces make sense and are effective. Outside of that, I don't know. Maybe you can say better than I can.
1: Let me just say this about the John Baptiste jazz tracks in this score. I, as a listener, I like music that goes somewhere, that starts off in one place and then tells me a story and arrives at a different place and carries me along with it for the journey. I like music where it's building on itself and it's going to pay off at some point and you're not going to get the full effect of that payoff if you haven't been paying attention to the build. I like music that it has a beginning and a middle and an end. It has a build-up and a climax and a payoff. And listening to this score, the overwhelming feeling I get is that none of those musical preferences that I have are at all compatible with the style of improvisational jazz that this score is using. Like, outside of something like Dunkirk or Sicario, it would be hard to design a score built to appeal to me less than aimless piano noodling.
0: I think the thing that the film clarifies in context
1: is that it's not aimless. I don't mean aimless the way you're saying. I'm just saying it doesn't have a particular direction. The music isn't carrying its audience from point A to point B. It's just doing whatever feels good in the moment. And that's inherent in the nature of an improvisational style. But it's not the sort of thing that is going to carry me through a movie score. It should be obvious from a
0: lot of our discussions of scores that those are things that I'm looking for, too, that I appreciate, too, that are the reason why I'm as into film music as I am, because in its best instances, it's telling a story. It has that progression. I mean, obviously, that's a feature of my favorites. That's something that I'm looking for. Fundamentally, what I want from music, any music, is to make me feel something is to be compelling in some way. The way I've been discussing this, I understand what it's doing. The John Batiste portions, I think, are accomplishing something positive for the film. I may be speaking out of almost complete ignorance of the subtleties of jazz music, But I think the way that it works often, or the way that in one style it's supposed to work, is that there are pieces of melody passed between the different artists in a jazz band. That it's a sort of collaborative storytelling. There's one scene where that's demonstrated. The legend that the protagonist is so excited about playing with is a saxophonist and she plays a particular melody, and then the protagonist picks it up on the piano and varies it and changes things, and it moves around the different instruments in a way that you could say is aimless because it doesn't have a specific progression, it doesn't have a specific goal, but that scene, at least, conveys the way that it's collaborative and that it comes together on sort of the same basis. So in context, that is conveying what it means to convey. As music in itself, again, I'm not a big fan of jazz. And, of course, there's the whole other element with the Reznor and Ross underscore, which I think we moved on from pretty quickly because it's completely uninteresting. Like Mank to an extent having these two so widely disparate elements of music kind of switching back and forth might give you a little bit of whiplash. Disney Records actually issued two different LPs for this because everything comes on LP now and nothing comes on CD anymore. There are separate LPs for the Reznor and Ross underscore and the Batiste music with a couple of songs that are also in the film. Officially titled, The Classic Music From and Inspired By.
1: Yeah, I considered listening to this again, with listening to all the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross tracks together on their own, and then listening to all the John Batiste tracks together on their own, but that would have involved listening to this again. (laughs) And I decided I wasn't interested enough to do that. With that,
0: I think we've come to the final section of our show. Would
1: you like to pick a winner? Would I? Would you? This is a really interesting... Interesting isn't the right word. (laughs) (laughs) But this is an interesting group of nominees, because so many years I spend all my time on here complaining about how terrible everything is. And I feel like I spent a lot of this show complaining about how terrible everything was, but. None of these scores are terrible. None of these are Dunkirk. None of these are Sicario. None of these are Jackie. All of these are perfectly fine scores. And some of them just really don't appeal to me, but it's not because they're not music. You know? It's not because they're just droning and monotonous. All of these scores have their own style that they're doing. All of these scores are well-written and well-orchestrated and well-put-together, and some of them just really, really, really don't appeal to me. But I feel like we should draw that distinction. There's a difference between Mank and Dunkirk. That being said, who will win, I think, is much easier. I think who will win is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. But for what? Because they're either going to give the music award to the movie about music, regardless of other considerations, the way they did with La La Land. Or they're just going to give Mank all the awards, because it's a movie valorizing old Hollywood and lionizing a really famous writer from old Hollywood and lionizing his act of writing one of Hollywood's most historically significant movies. I think I would probably lean Soul. I think that's what probably will win. And if Soul doesn't win, I think it'll probably go to Mank. As for who should win, I think I personally would go with News of the World. The five Bloods had a lot of good points to it and a lot of really good tracks to it, but I just couldn't ever get into that score. News of the world, while it wasn't consistent enough for my taste, the parts that were centered on themes and melodies, I did enjoy a lot. And the parts that were sort of there to evoke the feeling of the desolation and loneliness of the open West or whatever, those tracks. Did that really well and evoked that feeling really well. I feel like they're a little too much of the latter and not enough of the former, but if I had to pick from these five, News of the World would be my favorite.
0: I think it'll probably go to Resner and Ross as well. I think probably for Mank, but they may just give the music award to the movie about music. I think the Academy is usually a little leery of giving the Music Award to three people, although I think often they're leery about giving it to two people, so, you know. Otherwise, my favorite of the bunch is definitely Five Bloods. I was really surprised how much I keyed into it on repeated listens, but I really did. I think it has a strong melodic sense, I think it reflects a variety of emotions and creates a lot of emotional tones very well, and I think it's really quite compelling in many places. So, it's definitely the one that appeals to me most. I think that will do it for us this time. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can find us at NontoxicFanboys on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at nontoxicfanboys at gmail.com. If you're so inclined, please give us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you would like to support the show, please visit us at Patreon.com/nonToxicFanboys. I am at Glenny Bunn on Twitter and Instagram. Scott is at SpectacularSco on Twitter, and you can find all of this information and the latest updates about the show on our website, nonToxicFanboys.com. In addition, my other podcast venture is called Feeling Good For Now and features nuggets of positivity as well as spectacular advice in response to listener questions. You can find that at bit.ly goodfornow And please send any and all advice questions to spectacularadvice at gmail.com. The theme music to this podcast is Discovery by Alexander Nakarada, published on filmmusic.io. Details and links to The Composer can be found in this episode's description. Other music in this episode comes from the scores to da Five Bloods by Terence Blanchard, published by Maisie Music Publishing. News of the World by James Newton Howard, published by Backlot Music. Minari by Emile Mosseri, published by Milan Records. Mank by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, published by The Null Corporation and Soul by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste, published by Walt Disney Records. All of those are excerpted here for the purposes of review and critique. A full list of tracks cited is in this episode's description, and if you liked what you heard, links to buy the soundtracks can also be found there. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. The first score we have to talk about today is the Five Bloods by Terrence...
1: Ter- sh- sh- We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs>